Hey guys, welcome back. In today's episode, I'm going to share a principle that if you embrace this principle in your life, you are going to see your relationships transform, your mental health transform. It is going to change so many things. In fact, this principle was the key to when Jesus was in his hometown and could do no miracles. Jesus, who is the God of the universe, could do no miracles because this one principle was missing. And so we're going to talk about this. Now, this episode is a recording I did when I taught a leadership academy uh, about 10 years ago. And so I pulled that out of the, out of not even my podcast archives, just off my computer and edited it. So it's totally appropriate for this platform. And it was really good. And it was actually very convicting for me to listen to again. And so I hope it really feeds your spirit and gives you some practical tools. The cool thing is a few months after I had taught this message there, some of the leaders found me or ran into me in public and uh, they said, generally, you have no idea. Ever since you taught that, that message, we have seen such a transformation in our leaders and the culture amongst our, our students and leaders. It has been incredible. We as pastors feel so honored and taken care of by our people. And they said it had just really transformed their community. And so what I'm sharing on today's podcast is a very, very valuable principle in the kingdom of God. Also, don't mind all the background noise. I am in a coffee shop today. So, all right, jump into today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenna Lee Samuel. On this show, I bring the simplicity of hearing God's voice into everyday life in a no-nonsense, authentic, and super practical way. With coffee in hand and real life in our faces, let's do this. Hey guys, as you listen to this episode, I want to put a little caveat. So when you are carrying a spirit of honor and you're dealing with leaders, I want you to understand these principles will apply in the general sense of your life experience. But occasionally you'll have leaders or people in your life who are toxic, destructive, or harmful. I want you to understand having a spirit of honor in no way um, allows for us to be mistreated because we have to also treat ourselves with a spirit of honor as well, right? And so boundaries are still necessary when you're dealing with people who are unhealthy. In fact, boundaries are necessary sometimes to protect a spirit of honor in your heart. So I just wanted to throw that little caveat in there as you're listening. If you're dealing with toxic people, you can treat people as God would with a spirit of love, but that doesn't mean it's a spirit of permissive uh, treatment or that you just let people walk all over you, okay? Honor should be doubly honoring them and honoring yourself, respecting yourself as well. So I just want to throw that caveat in there, but let's dive in because this is a great episode. Well, let me tell you a story. Um, there was a gentleman, his name was Mike. He was young, but he was considered a um, church consultant. Uh, he comes in and he restructures church structure. So Mike was invited to this church. He comes in there and he meets with the leaders and he says, all right, so you guys tell me, when was the last salvation that you guys experienced here at your church? And they, they saw it and they said, um, maybe about 10 years ago. He was like, wow, okay. Um, why, why do you think that was the case? And they proceeded to list out all of the last five pastors that they had had and all of the shortcomings and all of the problems that they had had with all their last five pastors. So he looks at them and he feels prompted by the Holy Spirit to ask them. He says, so um, what do you think is the common denominator? Like, what's the common factor with all these pastors? 
And, uh, you know, they're thinking, they can't really come up with anything, but they're like, well, you know, and they're talking and talking, and he interrupts them, and he goes, you know, I think you guys are the common denominator amongst these five pastors. And, you know, they're just really offended at the idea. And he goes, he goes, that's all right. Just, just, I want you to, I want you to realize something though. When I got in town, you know, I hadn't met you guys yet. So I just wanted to get a feel for the church reputation around town. So I asked some people, you know, Hey, what do you think about that church outside of the city? And the people responded. They were like, Oh, you don't want to go there. And he was like, why would I not want to go to a church? And they're like, well, they treat their pastors so horribly. They bring them in town, they tear them down, discourage them, beat them up, and then they just send them out of town. And he was like, wow. And so he tells the elders this, and they're just kind of stunned into silence, right? They can't believe what he just shared with them. So an old man in the back of the, of the room stands up, and he says, Mike's right. And he gets up, and he leaves. And so about that time, this elder sends everybody into just this disturbance. Like, oh my goodness, he can't be right. This can't be true. So he says to them, he goes, listen, I don't, I don't know why you guys had me come here. I don't know why you brought me here. And they're like, because we need help. We need help. And he said, okay, listen. He's like, they're about to run me out of town anyways. Might as well go for it. And he was like, listen, then you guys need to make a change. You are the problem. You do not honor your pastor's Everything you just spoke to me about them shows you do not have an honor, a spirit of honor, a heart of honor for your leaders, for pastors to come in and be torn down and sent out to only last two years. That shows there is no honor, and that's why there's no life in your church. He said, even the world has identified that you guys are unhealthy in this way. He said, I cannot, I cannot uh, refer pastors to come step into this church unless you guys make a change. And so he left. He left town. And so they, thankfully, by the mercy of the Lord, repented, and, uh, and they decided to make some serious change. And so he came back six months to a year to check in on the church, and they were thriving. They were growing, and he asked around town to see if the vibe had changed, and people in town were like, yeah, we don't know what happened over there, but that's where things are, things are happening over there. That's awesome. Like, we've just been wanting to go and check it out because it's so exciting. And so just in a matter of a short amount of time, the only thing that they changed, they didn't change their programs. They didn't change to two or three services. They didn't change their marketing. They just started honoring their pastors. And it changed the entire spirit of that church, which in turn did affect the city. So I, I just want you guys to understand that's what we're talking about tonight is, is the importance of honoring our leaders. This is a virtue, a principle that is undertaught in at least our American church culture. Because in America, we're of a democratic mindset. And honor is something that's very much interwoven into cultures that, um, that understand hierarchy and, and, and structure of that nature. Kings and queens, or even in the Middle East, they're very much about family honor, and you don't do something if it bring dishonor on the family. So we're in, in our Western culture, honor is a harder concept to understand because it's not woven into our culture. In fact, if you just look at the magazines that are, when you're checking out all of them, they make their headlines based on how much they can expose about somebody, right? Our, our entire culture is built on dishonor. And so if you look at this, I want to show you in Scripture, Mark 6. Let me read you this. We see Jesus experiences this, and then we see he gives advice to his disciples about this. All right, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. 
They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed. He is just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simeon. We know all the people. And they live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus spoke up and he told them, a prophet, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he could not do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. What I want you to recognize here is that God is a rewarder. I'm going to tie these two thoughts together. God is a rewarder. He is our exceeding great reward. He promises he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He speaks in Revelation about those who hold to the end will receive the crown that if they make it to them, the crown of life. He's a rewarder, and we see this all throughout Scripture. Okay, these people who did not honor Jesus experienced no reward from him. They had no reward. He could do no great works. So what kind of principle is this, this honor that the Son of God, he had the full Godhead bound up inside of him. If his ability to move in what he was placed on this earth for was completely restricted because of a lack of honor from them, how powerful is this principle? Think about it. I mean, we're talking God wasn't able to do anything because of their unbelief. Okay, this is pretty life-changing, this principle, okay? So now Jesus gives wisdom to his disciples, if we carry on here. It says, then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. He's trying to teach them to depend upon people's ability to honor them with provision. He's teaching them to have a relationship with this dynamic of honor. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, treat you with honor, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. So we see Jesus is such a kind discipler here. He's like, guys, I've experienced the restriction that comes from no honor. So when you go somewhere... And people don't receive your gifts with honor. And he's not, he's not promoting an arrogance. He's not promoting an entitlement attitude. He's just teaching them the principle of there's value on your gift. You're a man or woman of God. There's anointing on your life. You go where the gift is honored because you can't bear fruit if you're going somewhere where there's no honor. Okay? So he's very kind to show us that. But we're in the position, we're all leaders here. We're all also students here. And we're in the position of learning about this, this principle of honor. And here Jesus is trying to make the point that he's called us to a life of fruit, lives that would bear fruit, fruit that would last. He's saying, listen, if we're after fruit, go where there will be honor because you'll, you'll bear fruit there. He's t- teaching them how to be wise with their time, wise with their energies, okay? And he's making the point about honor and how far honor goes. So let me actually define for you, now that we've discussed honor a little bit, let me define it so it's clear. Um, what this is. Honor is defined in, uh, in Scripture as the Greek word timi, 
meaning a valuing, appreciation, favorable regard, or respect. We're familiar with those terms. We probably, most of us, feel like we treat people like that with respect and with value. Let's look at what dishonor means, because sometimes that can help us clarify what honor actually looks like. Dishonor is the word atemia, and it means to not show respect or value or to treat as common. I think treating as common is probably where most of us would kind of slide into that category of dishonor. How many husbands and wives treat each other after a while like common, you know? Or we treat our kids like, yeah, 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 I heard you. Please just go watch TV, <laughs> you know? How many of us do that, right? Or our, or our pastors, we just get, we get, they become common to us. We, we can lose the awe and the regard for who they are, how valuable they are, okay? And so that's what honor and dishonor are. God says in 1 Samuel 2.30, he says, Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed or disdained. In NIV, it says disdained. Now, look at this. Disdained is the feeling that someone is unworthy of one's consideration. In essence, it means God is saying, if you dishonor me, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me, I, your prayers will go unnoticed. Your prayers will go unanswered and your needs will go unnoticed. He's saying, when you refuse to extend honor to me, then I will not, I will not hear your prayers and your needs will go unnoticed. In other words, there's no reward. When there's no honor, there's no reward. And then he goes even further to say, this is how you honor me. In John 5, 23, it says, he who does not honor the son does not honor the Father who sent him. That's John 5, 23. He who does not honor the son or the pastor or the wife or the son or the man of God, <laughs> he who does not honor them does not honor the Father who sent them. Okay? And so this is, this is the principle that kind of like scientific laws drive nature, right? The sun always rises, scientific laws. This is a, a, a spiritual law that God has set in place. Where there is honor, there will be reward. Where there is no honor, God will not hear your prayers and your needs will go unnoticed. So if you've ever gone through a time, I went through a time where um, I, I didn't realize I was acting in dishonor to somebody. And, um, and, but I could feel that when I was praying, I wasn't, I wasn't getting the response from the Lord like I normally did. I was praying for some financial breakthrough, and I wasn't getting financial breakthrough. And I was like, God, what is going on? What is going on? And I was racking my brain like, what is going on? And, uh, and finally, over time, the Lord started to show me because I could feel, and I've never felt like God's mad at me, but I could feel there was a place of displeasure in his heart. And I, I was just really distraught. And the Lord finally showed me. He said, you did not treat this person with honor in the way that you carried yourself. You were not intending to be malicious, but your, your treatment of him still was, was common. You treated him as common. You did not show honor. And because of that, I've not, I've not moved on your behalf in this situation. And that was an eye-opener to me. Okay? And so we see, we see these principles all throughout the word that when there's no honor, and there's, there's the, uh, the parables where Jesus, there's many times throughout scripture where Pharisees would think to themselves and Jesus knew their thoughts, right? We've heard, we've read a number of these things. And you could see that in those parables, Jesus then didn't respond. They didn't, they didn't walk away with anything because, right, the Pharisees had a mocking, scoffing attitude in their heart. And Jesus knew their thoughts. The word says that man 
um, man sees the outward appearance, but God honors the heart, right? He sees the heart. And so when there's dishonor, even in our heart, that can disqualify us from the rewards of the Lord, from the response of the Lord. In fact, this goes even a step further. There are places in Scripture when, when the Israelites murmured against Moses and God, like, straight up killed them, opened the ground, they fell in, smashed them. You know what I mean? Like, God was like, don't murmur against my leaders. There's a few places in Scripture where you see this. And yet there's instances in Scripture where there's adultery, no one's killed. There's murder, no one's killed. There's a number of what we would consider really stark, dramatic sins, and no one, there's no dramatic response. But when there's dishonor, God's like, okay, earth is going to swallow you right now, you know? And that just makes a statement. God is making his point. I value honor. And I think sometimes if any of you men have been in the military, is there any of you guys? Come on. I think, I think, that that's one of the one of the one of the one of the many rich values of the military. That principle of honor is really built in, where you still have to honor your colonel or your your captain or whoever's above you, even if they're screaming in your face, right? Okay, and this is where we're moving to. This is where we want to maintain a heart of honor, even in those places of displeasure, when we have leaders who are unpleasant with us, um, leaders who maybe we have disappointed expectations, leaders who challenge us in a way that makes us very uncomfortable that we would respond to them with honor starting in our hearts and then extending out through our speech and through our facial expressions, through our body language, through the way that we talk about them. Okay, so let's get into this. Sometimes it's hard to recognize when we're in dishonor or, or not um, until we're kind of a ways down the road. <laughs> and that could be frustrating because then you've already made a mess, you know. And so <laughs> I'm going to give you some little red flags to watch for. We're just going to look for three little, three little markers um, that we can watch for that can kind of be an indicator, a road sign for us. Hey, you're getting in dangerous territory here. Okay, the first one is when we get familiar with our leaders. Have you been in a relationship with a leader that the closer you get to them, they become more of like a friend than a leader, right? Maybe when you initially first met them, you're like, oh, pastor knows my name. I am on the map, you know, like serious like we've all been there right let's be real okay so you get to know them right you get to know them and then you're like oh okay and and the more the more you get to know your leaders watch for this the you guys are leaders and you are going to be given more authority you will grow closer with the leaders who you haven't been as close to and so there is the opportunity for familiarity to set in you need to watch for this, okay? And the way that we um, stay vigilant, that familiarity doesn't set in. Like Jesus, everyone was familiar with him. Now watch this, though. In the, in the instance with Jesus, they were all like, who is this man that he does signs and wonders? Where does he have this authority? So notice they, were, they started out perceiving him. They started out recognizing this guy's different, right? But then they scoffed in their hearts. They turned to familiarity, and they said, oh, he's just one of us. He's just the carpenter's son. So they went from the place of revelation, and they went to the place of natural understanding. Okay, we need to know people by the Spirit, and you will maintain a spirit of honor when you see them through the eyes of the Lord. When you find yourself struggling to have a spirit of honor, an attitude of honor towards the leader, 
that's a good indicator you're not looking at them through the eyes of the Lord because God always look at, looks at us with honor. Okay? So step back. Ask the Lord for his heart. Ask the Lord for his eyes on them. And then what you can do proactively to guard your heart is watch for their successes. Watch. The closer that you get, the, the closer you get to their humanity, right? You, might, you see them with their guards down. You see them when they're casual and not just on mission, right? You see them when they're comfortable. You might see them when they're weak. And it can be very easy in those moments um, to threaten that spirit of honor that you carry. What you want to do in those moments is, A, you will get there. So embrace it when you get there. I will see your humanity, and I will honor you through it. <laughs> okay? And then when you get there, look for their successes. Look for what they do well. Look for those tiny sacrifices that no one gets to see because they're not close enough. Look for those character strengths that no one sees because they're not close enough. You will get, the, you will get to see either the places where you can dishonor or you will get the prime spot of vision into where you can really honor them. Okay, so when you get familiar with leaders, be prepared for it. It will happen. You guys are leaders. You will get closer with those above you. Be prepared to carry God's eyes, looking at them through his eyes and carrying a spirit of of looking for their success is a heart of encouragement. Okay, so that's the first one. Second one. Oh, thank you. Um, The second thing that can sneak in there is when we become prideful in our heart. Sometimes you will, you will have a leader put over you, you, many of you probably already have, who are better qualified, or you feel like you're better qualified for that role than they were. You have more experience. Maybe they're on the worship team and you feel like you sing better. They're in the pulpit and you feel like you preach better. Whatever it is, those moments when that pride sneaks up, that is going to be, um, that will murder <laughs> the spirit of honor in your heart. Okay? Pride only brings quarrels. Pride does not nurture a spirit of honor. So when that, that you feel yourself feeling competitive with someone, you feel yourself focusing on, on how they are affecting you, and you are the common denominator, you know that pride is at work. C.S. Lewis says, true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. So if you find yourself in a place, I went through this also, all the lessons that we leaders learn in the journey, um, where I had found myself offended with my pastors, and I have good pastors, good. Like my pastor, he was the second pastor of the Brownsville Revival. Like the man is legit, and uh, they're precious. And, and I found myself struggling with a lot of just offense towards them and like they don't do this for me and they don't encourage me and they don't, you know, they don't see me. They don't see what I do. And I should have caught on sooner. Like, hello, all the me, me, me in there, you know. But uh, finally, I was driving to church one Sunday. And, um, and I mean, I planned how I was going to talk to them, you know, when I had the chance, you know, respectfully. But I was going to tell them my feelings. And I finally had this epiphany. Jesus must have been interceding for me. And, um, and I was like, you know what? They, they are the boss. Like, they are the boss. I don't have a right to even feel like I'm entitled to all these things right now. Like, they are the boss. God has set them in place. My job is to serve and honor, and I will do that in humility. And the Lord will take care of any kind of acknowledgement that I may need, you know. And so I had to recognize that was pride in my heart. And that pride was fueling 
the offense towards my pastors. So if you find yourself struggling with offense towards your leaders, struggling with offense, I mean, heck, it even works laterally with your roommate, (laughs) with your husband, wife, with your boss, you know, any of those things. If you're struggling with that, that's pride. And pride kills a spirit of honor. It just does. So the antidote to that is what Philippians 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others more important than yourself. And tend not only to your own concerns, but also to the concerns of others. Consider others better than yourself and look to their interests, not only to yours. So when you see a lot of me in your thinking, that's pride. It's killing honor. Pursue humility. Be repentant. And sometimes, listen, even if you feel like they haven't felt that dishonor, even if you haven't verbalized it, Sometimes it's really good and it just, it really helps to eliminate the pride from your heart to go to them and just speak, just confess and be like, you know what, pastor, friend, boss, I've really, I've had a lot of pride in my heart towards you and it's bred a lot of offense and it's wrong. I have not been honoring you in my heart and I want to repent to you for that because you're the man of God that God's established and I honor your position. Okay, do that. That'll kill the pride really quick. (laughs) Okay, all right. So the third area, the first one was growing familiar with our leaders. You combat that by looking for their successes, looking for their successes. Be alert. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. Be alert. Watch for their successes. Be their greatest cheerleaders. Second is pride in your own heart. Combat that with pursuing humility Don't nurture all the me-centered thinking. That is prideful. Pursue humility. Protect your heart to be full of honor towards them. And the third one is disappointed expectations. All right, in all of our relationships, we carry expectations. We just do. Honestly, some people treat expectations like they're a bad thing. I don't believe they are because we see in Scripture expectations are a sign that you're in a covenantal relationship that there's give on both sides. And God was the one who came up with that idea. He had expectations for the Israelites, and he honored theirs. And he has expectations for us New Covenant believers. He says, I expect you to love me with all of your heart, all of your, you know, put me first, serve no other God beside me. You know, he has expectations of us, right? Expectations show there's a covenant. So expectations aren't bad altogether, okay? But what we have to do with our expectations is you have to evaluate if they are reasonable expectations or not. I had a college student who, um, she came to our church, and she she was really broken, um, but I just took her under wing. I've been discipling her for about three years now, maybe four. And she had lost her father when she was 15, and her mother was pretty, pretty emotionally neglectful, I guess, would be the best word. So she never was able to process the death of her father. So that left her very orphaned like she was the definition of orphan hungry desperate for a father figure so she comes to our church we run about a thousand or so and you know pastor pastor uh is he's a regional leader he's he's um spearheading this not in my city campaign and um you know he's just he's recognized this really established leader but she built a relationship with him pretty quickly and he was very pastoral loving just nurtured that relationship she'd have meetings and loved when he would talk to her in a fatherly way you know so finally she comes to me one day, and she's like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with pastor. I don't know if I'm going to even keep coming to the church. I was like, say what? 
And uh, she goes, no, yeah, he's just, he won't respond to my emails. And he just, he just seems, I don't think he even sees me anymore. He didn't, I gave him a gift card and he never even said thank you, you know, and she was getting all offended. And um, I was like, all right, let's get to the bottom of this. And the, the bottom of it ended up, she's expecting him to be her father. And the man is a busy man and he has no responsibility to act to that capacity, right? I said, I said, sweetie, I said, I'm on his staff and I don't even expect the kind of attention that you're expecting from him. And I'm on his staff, and we have a small staff, so I should be able to, but I don't, because that's ridiculous. You know, I was like, baby, you need to reevaluate your expectations. I said, now, if you have a neighbor who's older, he has no children anymore, he's bored, that'd be someone you could expect these kind of expectations from, you know? He could be a father to you. I said, but pastor, that's that's unreasonable. You've got to adjust your expectations. And so she did. Thankfully, she's very teachable. She did adjust her expectations. She dealt with the offense. She was able to view him again through a lens of honor because she dealt with the offense. Expectations will be disappointed. And often we don't even know we have expectations until they're disappointed. So when they are disappointed, what we tend to do is just give ourselves to that disappointment and allow ourselves to nurture that offense But as leaders and as wise men and women of God who will use discernment, you need to recognize when you're in that place and say, hold on, what expectation is being disappointed right now? And do I have a right to hold on to this expectation? You you need to ask yourself that. Now, some expectations are reasonable. We expect our pastors to be righteous men who are faithful to their wives. Those are good expectations, right? (laughs) And so we have a right to hold them to those, right? But then all, if you're expecting him to meet with you over coffee four days a week, not, not such a reasonable expectation, okay? So when we do have expectations that are reasonable, okay, because sometimes they will be reasonable, the way you deal with that, you do deal with your heart first. You go in prayer. You go to the Lord. You deal with those things in prayer. And, and get your heart right. Get your heart in a place of peace. And then if you do need to talk to your leader about it, communication is important, especially especially if you plan to have a long-term relationship with this person, okay? Loyalty is very, very essential to this spirit of honor, okay, in expectations. So let's, that takes us to um, Proverbs 3. You need to communicate with your leaders so they understand where you are. But don't do it until you have come to a place of honor in your heart towards them. And then when you do come to them, seek first to understand and then be understood. And that little principle is a principle of honor that works in all your relationships. Seek first to understand and then be understood. Bring the concerns to your pastor. If I had, I had a college leader actually talk to me yesterday and she had grown frustrated about some different things. And so she was, I could feel it. I told her, I was like, I have a feeling you need to talk. Let me know. I'm available. I have all the feelings. I feel all the feels. <laughs> Just let me know. She was like, you're right. There's lots of feels happening, so I will talk to you. So, um, so <laughs> she came to me yesterday and was talking through all these discontentments she was experiencing. And it turned out her discontentments were due to the fact that we're in a season shift. She was feeling the season shifting before it could actually shift. She didn't know what I knew about situation, so she thought I didn't care. 
Anyways, so we communicated, and that communication was important. So that, because she said, she said, I want to protect my heart of honor towards you. I need to understand what's happening and why I'm feeling this way. And so we communicated, and that protected our relationship. It kept, she acted with loyalty towards me. Proverbs 3, this is the way that we can, we can combat the disappointment that can come from broken expectations, okay? Evaluate your expectations, and Proverbs gives us a principle. It says, Proverbs 3, 3 through 4, it says, let love and kindness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you'll win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Love and faithfulness can, can be replaced with honor and loyalty, okay? Honor and loyalty. When you are in a place in any relationship, but especially with your leaders, when expectations are disappointed, you need to immediately call upon honor and loyalty in your heart. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I've been in leadership long enough. It hurts. It hurts. We forget that our leaders are people. We forget that our leaders have feelings. (laughs) And they're just people who are serving really hard. And it hurts when we have people under us who've been disappointed by us, but don't come and talk or don't hold on to loyalty or don't protect that spirit of honor. It hurts the leader. It really does. And so we need to... Because we've seen how when we honor people, it draws out their ability to be greater. When we honor Jesus, he was able to do great miracles. When you honor your leaders, they can be the leaders you need them to be. And in those moments when expectations are broken and you have the ability to dishonor, you set yourself apart when you hold on to honor and loyalty, love and faithfulness. It's interesting. It says bind them around your neck. Basically, they become a filter between your heart and your mouth. Bind them around your neck. Let love, let honor and faithfulness, honor and loyalty be a filter. When you're dealing with the things in your heart, before you go and speak, filter it through honor and loyalty. Write them on the tablet of your heart, meaning allow it to transform the way you think from the inside first. And then you'll win favor in the sight of God and man. Okay, honor and loyalty, you guys. This is so, so essential. When I first came to our church, now I never even met Pastor and his wife until after we were on staff, which was unusual, but they met my husband and I didn't meet them until after we were already on staff. So I didn't expect them to treat me with unusual measures of honor (laughs) or respect because they didn't know me. I knew I'd have to earn that trust. But um, I found over the years that I was there as my pastor treated me with honor and I could feel it. It wasn't even just how he treated me. I could feel that energy of honor from him. I could feel that he trusted me. When I'd bring him a prophetic word, he did it this last Sunday. He released a prophetic word I gave like four years ago to him and his wife privately. And he released it to the whole service and, and had the whole service take hold of it. When those kind of things happened, what I experienced was I felt myself pulled into gifts that I had never felt myself step into before. And it was literally, it was like his honor made room for me. And suddenly I was able to step into territory that I didn't have permission to step into before. Does that make sense? So now flip it. He was my leader. I also had leaders under me, men of God, women of God, who treated me with so much honor and so much they believed in me that 
sometimes it felt like, why are you treating me with so much honor? You know, like, I'm a little uncomfortable, but thank you, you know. Um, but they treated me with so much honor that I literally, I could feel these things rise up inside of myself to occupy territory I didn't occupy before. It was like anointing expanded inside of me because of their honor. So unusual, but so powerful. And that's how it works in God's kingdom. If you want to see your leaders be better, you honor them more. Because your honor will draw those gifts and draw those anointings out. Honor them in prayer. Honor them in speech. Honor them in your heart. Don't let the heart get past. Because listen, he gives us, God gives us no reward, partial reward, and full reward. You don't get the full reward if your heart is missing from the equation. When your heart is there along with everything else, that's when you get a full reward. Okay? So you want the full reward from God, you've got to honor from the heart. Okay? Let me, let me finish with the story and we're done. Okay. In the last church that we went to, and we love that church. We have great relationships with them. Um, but our pastor died um, about five years ago, uh, five and a half years ago, and he died of cancer. And um, we, that was the first church my husband and I pastored at after we got married, and we'd been there eight years, and loved them. Their family became like like family to us. They would have us over for holidays, just beautiful. His daughter was my best friend. So he died, and and after he died, um, my, I was, I just really wanted to be there for my my friend, his daughter. I was like, I've never been through this before, so I'm like Googling, what's the grief process? You know, like, how do I, how do I figure out where she's at so I can help her the best? You know, I just didn't want to say the wrong thing and make the pain worse. You know, I'm baking her bread and leaving it on her doorstep, you know, and texting her, I love you, I'm praying for you, you know, just trying to do whatever I could. So about a week into it, my husband and I are sitting and watching a movie, and I get this text. I think I texted her like, hey, just thinking about you, hope you're okay tonight. And uh, I get a reply text, and she says, I'm not your friend. You and your husband have never been friends of the church. Please don't talk to me anymore. Then I was like, hold up, what just happened? Like, <laughs> my best friend, uh, what? And so I, like, I was like, what? And she was like, she just repeated it. And I was like, like, my heart is racing. I'm sweating. I'm just, things are getting dizzy. You know, I'm just like, what is happening right now? It just stunned me. And apparently in that week's time between when he died and when I get this text, someone else in the family who didn't know us well and had gone to India, studied the Indian culture, came up with this theory that, because my husband's Indian, that we had just decided to, to lay low in the church until pastor died so we could take it over. Little did they know our college ministry was bigger than the church at that point, so it wouldn't have, you know, whatever. But, um, but it was just, it was a ridiculous accusation that, that struck really deep. And I recognized they were grieving deeply. And when you're grieving deeply, you got to find someone to blame for something, to alleviate something, you know. And so I recognize that's where they were, but it didn't change the damage that began to happen after that. Now, because my husband and I were at a crossroads when this happened, and, and, and the pastor's wife began to call all the elders and poison them against us, and we'd go to church, and you'd see people whispering, looking at it. And I mean, like, these are people that were like, we've done nothing against you. You know, we've served you for all these years. What is happening? It was just so surreal. And, um, and, and I, my husband and I felt keenly aware. Like, we have, we're at a crossroads right now. How we, how we respond to this determines how we step into our next season. And we just felt like this fear of the Lord come on us, like, do not, do not speak against the Lord's anointed. Just don't do it. And so there was, 
honestly a divine grace to um, walk in honor to them. And, and people, thankfully, because of the fact that we chose not to discuss it, things stayed pretty contained. The general church didn't really know what was going on. But those behind the scenes, there was plenty of people who knew what was going on to make it, it was very difficult. So fast forward, and um, the Lord released us from the church. We did this for about six months um, because we realized this church is hurting, and the enemy comes in to destroy when the, sh- when the, the, when the sheep are unshepherded. And we were like, we're not willing to let that happen to these people. And so even though it was difficult, we were like, Lord, we're not leaving until you give us a release to leave and you provide a pastor. And so after about six months, we finally had a release to go and we moved to our current church. And, um, and at that point, you know, I wasn't, nothing was reconciled. And I prayed during those days, God, please bring vindication. Like, show them that we didn't do this. You know, this is not who we are. You know, it's painful. You know, you guys have probably experienced if your character is maligned. It just, it hurts. So fast forward, a few years later, I run into this friend at a birthday party, and she's warm to me. I'm like, wow. And she's like, I've really missed you. I was like, double wow, okay. So I went for it, and I was like, well, hey, let's get coffee. She's like, okay. I'm like, triple wow, cool. Um, so like two weeks later, we get up, or we get together, and we're talking, and, uh, and we're trying to pretend like nothing is weird. Didn't work for very long, you know, like you can't really fake that. So we finally get to the conversation, and I was sharing how I was having to work through you know, just some fear of rejection that I hadn't had to deal with before. And, and she recognized, you know, like, yeah, that's my fault. And so she, with tears in her eyes, she begins to talk. And she's like, generally, listen, a couple of weeks ago, I woke up and I suddenly was struck with this overwhelming sense of grief over my loss of you and Stephen. It was like my eyes opened and I realized what happened. She said, I realized how differently things could have gone and how wrong we treated you, and how wrong and how hurt you must have been. And she said, and I'm so, so sorry for how we treated you guys. And then she said, and generally, in all that time, this is what blew my mind, in all that time, in all the people that came around us, she said, you're the only one who treated me like a friend. I was like, what do you mean? Everybody loves you guys. She goes, yeah, but everyone was concerned about my mom. You know. She said, you're the only one who tended to me. And, and she goes, you brought me flowers on the one-year anniversary of my dad's death because you thought it'd be a hard day for me. She's like, you made me cake, and you sent me texts. And she goes, I just dealt you all this rejection. She goes, I don't have a grid for how you were such a friend when I was not a friend to you. And now, listen, guys, that was because of the grace of the Lord, right? We've been there. We were grace of the Lord. Um, and so reconciliation happened. All right, well, fast forward now a few more months, and I invite her to a conference, and she's processing with me about how she's going through a lot of pain at her church, the same church. And she's feeling left out. She's feeling like she doesn't know where friends are. She's feeling a lot of betrayal. She's starting to feel the things that we felt. She's reaping what she sowed. And as I'm sitting there listening to her talk, I'm realizing, A, God, you're really faithful to your principles. But B, there is no satisfaction in this for me. I, I prayed for vindication, and here I'm seeing God is vindicating, but I'm seeing my friend hurt, and I did not want to experience that for her. And so as I drove home that night, I was like, Lord, I know that you are faithful to your word, and she's reaping what she sowed technically, 
I said, God, I thank you that you're faithful to your principles, but God, I ask if she can reap mercy, have her reap mercy, please. Like, I don't want to see her in depression. I don't want to see her going through this stuff. She talks about how lifeless she felt. And, and honestly, I believe that I would not have been in that place to ask for mercy for her if I had not sought to keep a heart of honor through the painful process. I was proactive about blessing them, and I was proactive about forgiving, and it was hard. It was hard, but I knew that I would end up worse off, they would end up worse off if I didn't protect honor. So then that's the first night of the conference she confides. The second night, I had asked the Lord, God, give her mercy. The second night, she gets ministered to by the guy. She's the first one he comes to to prophesy. Prophesies over her, prays over her. The stuff breaks off of her. She gets totally set free from the depression and, and the lack of vision that had been settling over her life. And the Lord showed me. He said, generally, because you protected honor, you chose forgiveness. You then had the ability to ask for mercy, to go beyond the law of sowing and reaping and step into mercy and she could be changed. And that is what Christ does. Christ doesn't stop with sowing and reaping. Christ steps into mercy. And I was, I was thankful. I was like, God, I'm not that big of a person. Like you did that. You totally did that. You know, and I was so thankful. It was such a lesson for me that when you protect honor in your heart, you are not doing it just for you. You're doing it for every person that will benefit and eat the fruit of the spirit of honor that you carry. You're doing it for your leaders. You're doing it for your pastors and for all of those under your leadership. So honor is this principle that drives God's kingdom. And we cannot afford to neglect to hold a heart of honor in high regard, protecting our hearts so that God's kingdom can be forged inside of us and then forged through us. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say, hey, it's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Also, don't miss our merch store where you can get super cool Java with Jen swag and coffee. Find it at javawithjenmerch.com. Until next time, remember, hearing God's voice is simple and he wants to be a part of your everyday life. See you next week.